Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, good morning. Uh, I am so excited to be here. My name is Jacob. I'm on staff here with our college ministry at Grace. And man, we are wrapping up uh, a walk, a journey, uh, uh, an excursion through the life of David. Uh, we've been looking at, at this man, at this historical biblical figure, uh, uh, one who started as a shepherd boy and then would become a king. We've looked at his life and we've looked at not just the situations he found himself in, but we get to look at, at his heartbeat in the midst of all those. We, we don't just get to see his stories, but we get to see his psalms, like Psalm 51. We get to see these, these, these outpourings of his emotion in the midst of the experiences that we witness through historical narrative. We get to see not just uh, his situation, we get to see his soul laid bear. And as we walked through his life, as we've been looking at this over the last few weeks, as we're wrapping it up today, what we'll see is time and time again, God reveals the heart of David through circumstance, but then he refines that heart and he's molding and shaping and transforming David's heart into one that God would hold up above all of their hearts, above all of their souls, above all of their mentalities. And he says, this is the heart of the man who really gets me. He says, this is the heart of a man who, uh, that I would want to see replicated in, in every single one of my people. And so we've seen that heart that, that was humble. We've seen that heart that was still. And, and this morning, we're going to see a heart that was repentant and, and that embraced reconciliation. But the reality is that David didn't always just have that heart. It had to be created and it was formed sometimes through experiences that looked a little bit like this. If it weren't for bugs, the world would be a disaster. My name is Shelby. I am from Clam, Oklahoma, and I'm a cockroach girl. I love roaches. Each and every one has their own special purpose. Well, that's the second roach that pooed on me today. Roaches can eat styrofoam. They'll eat dead animals. They all work together to make the world a better place for us to live. There's at least about 30,000 different species, and only about 30 of them are really bad ones. You need to behave and not run off. You shouldn't be afraid of them, because roaches are good. Roar! I don't know how many I have, and I've lost count. My favorite roach is extinct. Their only habitat was destroyed by miners. I do consider myself smart. When I grew up, I wanted to do some entomology, and I hope to teach everybody that bugs are good. You should have good luck with your little babies, okay? (laughs) We need people, right? We all need people in our lives. Uh, We many times need people to basically share their perspective with us, right? We need other people to maybe look at us and hold us accountable uh, and point out when maybe we've gone a little too far down a a path, right? Like (laughs) a path that maybe... We don't want to go down, right? Maybe we've had moments in our lives. I've had moments in my life where people have to look at me and they just have to say, Jacob, Jacob, the LA looks like cemented, gelled hair, comb forward with like the spikes at the front. Like, Jacob, it's got to stop, right? Eighth grade was hard for me. Like that was, that was difficult to swallow. Jacob, Hollister, it's, it's, en- it's done, right? It's, it's, it's over, right? Like I, I know we've had moments where maybe people had to speak into our lives and said, hey, you're in a place that maybe you never meant to be. Like you've lost count of your roaches. Let's stop. Like let's, it's, it's done, 
right? We need people to, to hold us accountable to maybe a particular standard. We, we, we want people to do that for the things in our life, right? We, we don't even buy pens on Amazon without like seeing what the rating might happen to be. We don't go see a movie in theaters without checking the Rotten Tomatoes score. Why? Because we want to make sure that these items, that these pieces, that these experiences that maybe we're pursuing are held accountable to a particular standard of excellence. And, and we need people looking out for us who can call us out and, and who can not just point out when we've strayed, but that can pull us out of danger, right? Because some of us are in that relationship that is so toxic. We just are, and we're blinded to it, and we need people to point that out. Some of us have an addiction in our lives that, that, is, that is crippling, and we just don't see it, or we just don't see a way out, and we need people to speak into that. We need people to pull us out of that. We need people to point out that maybe there's stress in our life that's very avoidable, Maybe we need people to, to speak into our life and tell us that that mindset we've adopted is just foolish. That bitterness we're harboring is, is, is a waste. That we're destroying ourselves as we hold on to this fear or this anger or this, this hatred for other people. Man, we need people to share their perspectives. We need people to hold us accountable to God's standard. To encourage us as we move forward and to strengthen us when we fall. So this morning what we'll see is David, King David, held accountable. We're going to see a man by the name of Nathan, the prophet of God in Israel at that time, is going to step into David's life, and he's going to hold him accountable to God's standard. And he's going to do so in a very specific way. There's, there's all these beautiful principles that we're going to see unfold in this story, in this confrontation they're going to have. Because when Nathan walks into David's life, when he holds him accountable, what happens is he steps in at the right time, in the right way, and he's bringing the whole truth. And when he does this, David has the opportunity to respond in the right way. And he, he answers this accountability with this incredible heart of repentance and reconciliation. You see, the lead up to where we're going to be this morning, the lead up to 2 Samuel 12, is that David, he started kind of down this road of mistreating women way back in his life, of kind of using women as sexual objects. That was, that was one of David's main failures. Is as we track through, and we, we didn't get to study this in here, but if you're walking through his life, you'll notice that very early on, he begins to use women just purely for sexual gratification, sexual advancement. And so he brings, he, he takes multiple wives, takes multiple concubines. God never approves or instructs his people to have multiple wives. He never approves of his people taking concubines. He never approves any of this. And yet it happens time and time again. And David was no exception. He, he takes and he's using these women for his own personal sexual gain. And eventually over years and years of this sin, over years and years of this transgression, even though the trajectory right at the start was just a little bit off, Over the span of years, his path diverges further and further from God's will. And it leads him to a point where he has sex with a married woman, gets her pregnant, and tries to cover up that pregnancy by having her husband killed. David's murdering for sex. And it's after this sin, it's after this transgression, it's after this horrific misstep that, again, is at the end of a long road. It's in this moment, about a year after the child is born, that we pick up in 2 Samuel 12, and we see that the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, this is really significant, because 
like I said, this was a long journey and there were probably moments along that path. There were probably moments even just within this one certain context of David and Bathsheba, the married woman that he had sex with. Just within this one context, there were probably moments that people could have stepped in, that people could have spoken, that Nathan maybe even was hearing things, right? Like he, he, this wasn't just a thing that happened in complete isolation. People weren't just ignorant to what was going on. People could see, man, there, there, there's something happening, right? Uriah was this great military dude. Now he's, he's dead. And oh, his wife's married to David. And oh, they just had a kid. And wait, we can do math even though it's olden times. Like get my abacus. Like they, they slide over the things. Like, wait a second. And suddenly, you know, people are putting one and one together. But it's not until this particular moment that Nathan comes. Why? Because this is when God sent him. You see, I think the very first thing that we see, the first principle that we unpack is that Nathan waited for the right time to approach David. He waited for God's time, for God's timing. He, he waited until after he had been having, you know, he was needed to have this conversation with David, but his most important conversation with the, was with the Lord. And he needed God to show, man, you know, open the door for me. Like, send me when you need to send me to address this issue, to, to correct this sin, to, <coughs> to call him out and hold him accountable to your standard. Right? And the reality is that even as we see this, these are going to be the two main players in this morning's narrative. These are going to be the two main people that we see. And as we walk through this, as we see Nathan approaching in the right time, as we see David eventually responding in the right way, what we need to recognize is that, man, at some point in our lives, we're going to find ourselves as Nathan in this situation, and other times we're going to find ourselves as David. And we need to prepare ourselves for both eventualities. We need to prepare ourselves to be the one who needs to step in and hold someone else accountable. But we also need to prepare ourselves to be the one who needs to be confronted. The one who needs to be called out and pulled out of danger. But like I said, man, what we see with Nathan right at the get-go is that, man, he's, he's trusting the Lord's timing. Because timing is so very crucial Right, the timing, when you say the thing you need to say is so very important. It's, it's, it's vital. Some of us, we know that, right? Well, some of us have said the right thing at the wrong time. And we're like, yeah, I did not need to bring up, you know, my sister's sin uh, at her birthday or whatever. Like there, there, were, there are times that we had where like that was the wrong time to bring that up. Maybe I shouldn't have waited until we were, you know, getting in the car of the start of an eight-hour uh, drive to, you know, bring up this bitterness that I've held in my heart, and then we were quiet for eight hours. You know, I don't know. Maybe you've had that experience, but, but the reality is that, man, sometimes you can have just, you, you're saying the right thing. It's a good intention. It's a good desire, but it's the wrong time. Uh, my son, Lawrence, uh, is just over a year old, and he loves um, physical contact. He loves, his love language right now is touch. Just touch, 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 touch. And he wants to be near people. So like, even if he's like near his sister, he's just like, let me just absorb your energy. Like like he's just, he wants to be in physical contact with people at all times. He's a, he's a softie. He's a, oh, come on, toughen up. And so, uh, he's his father's child. And so even in this moment, uh, the thing is, is that he, he wants to be held, he wants to be hugged, he wants to have this physical contact. And if he's not, he's a little bit upset, right? If he's all by himself, he's like, man, I'm a little pensive right now, right? Like, this is just like, he's like, nobody's hugging me, what's the deal? And so, what we've encountered recently is that Lawrence will decide that, man, he just, he needs himself some hugs about 4.15 a.m. every single day. 
About 4.15 a.m., Lawrence was like, I got to get some hugs. And when he cries out, when he calls out for these hugs, like, ah, which I'm interpreting as like, hug me, right? Like when I hear that cried out through my home, as he's waking up his sister, as he's waking up his parents, as he's, you know, just seeking for this, this good thing, right? It's, it's good to give my son hugs. Like, I want to show him affection. I want to let him, you know, kiss me by just, like, eating my face at all times. I, I want to let him do that. I, I want to be a part of that. I want to love him in that way. Uh, but, man, the timing sometimes is brutal, right? Like, if he's insisting on getting up at 4.15, which he just does, like, every day now, it's hard. Right? It's hard for me to even like reciprocate that love at that point. He's like, hug me. And I'm like, I will. <laughs> Maybe too much, you know, but it's, the timing is so critical. And some of us have been in that moment where we recognize, wow, the timing that I should have adopted for this was way more important. When we talk through conflict uh, resolution, and, and as we're talking to, to students in our, our merge ministry, which is just preparing people for super awesome marriages, if you're seriously dating or engaged, man, you should do it in the fall. Uh, but as we walk people through this idea of conflict resolution and merge, what, what we always talk about is the need to halt, right? It's this helpful little acronym. As you're trying to have a tough conversation with someone, where maybe you're holding them accountable or you're asking them a serious question or you're making these plans, you need to halt, a.k.a. you should avoid that conversation if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're late or lost or tired. Halt, right? Because timing is critical. I don't wait. I, I don't bring up this issue. I'm not talking to Susan. I'm like, hey, let's, we really need to map out next week. We need to figure this out. If we're like hungry and children are screaming and we're like late to go to the thing, like I, I know, man, there's a better time to have this conversation. We learned in college very quickly, man, I shouldn't have tough conversations with my roommates or my friends or my significant other with my girlfriend. I shouldn't have those tough conversations. I would say rule of thumb, like after 10 p.m. It's just not gonna go that well. Like, it's just not, it's not going to be great. Because even though you're like, I'm awake and I'm going to stay up till two, like, that's fine. But you don't know, but your body's tired. Like, there, there's, there's, some, there's fatigue that's happening. Your cells are slowing down and your brain is growing weary. And maybe it's not the best time to have that tough conversation. We need to make sure that our timing is critical. And, and, and we're seeking the Lord, right? Like Nathan, preparing to be Nathan. We're not just halting. We're also trusting God's timing. We're having that conversation before we have this one. But even if we're not Nathan, sometimes other times we're going to be David, right? And if that's the case, then what we need to be doing is we need to make the time. We need to carve out windows. We need to allow people time to speak into our lives. For me, a, a lot of times that, that, that'll be a breakfast, I'll sit down with a guy, we'll, we'll meet up early, early one morning every week, and we'll just sit down and we'll talk through, man, what's going on? Like holding each other accountable to the God's standard that on our lives. We say, hey, I, I want to have this serious conversation with you. And, and I need to make, I structure that time into my schedule. I, I've known guys that their goal was like, hey, we're going to like, <coughs> we're going to have this like evening, this nightly debrief for our house. And as roommates, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to these certain standards or these certain I- issues. And so just every evening or every other evening, we're going we're gonna to come together at 11 p.m. and we're, we're going to have this time. We're going to have this conversation. All right, and it breaks my after 10 p.m. rule, but that's fine. Freedom in Christ. So that's, that's okay. But maybe for you, it's you need to just make sure that you're structuring in this time, that you're not waiting for a blowout. You're not waiting for an explosion before you address the issue. You're making time every week consistently with certain people that you know and that you trust. 
You're making that time for people to speak into your life. Prepare to be David in that way. But on top of that, as, as Nathan was approaching within this right timetable, right on this, at this right time, he, he also approached David in the right way. And what I mean by that is he, he tells David this story. When he came to him, he says, hey, there were, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, right? So he sets up, so here's the story, David. Got two guys, rich guy, poor guy, rich dad, poor dad. Here they go. But the poor man had nothing except for a little lamb he had acquired. He raised it and he grew up alongside his children and he used to, he used to eat his food and drink from his cup and sleep in his arms. It was just like a daughter to him. You know, <laughs> you know, like when you have a, a lamb and you're like, wow, you're like a daughter to me. You know, like that. That's what he was experiencing, right? He's letting this dirty sheep eat his food, drink from his, uh, drink from his cup, sleep in his arms. His wife is probably very upset. <laughs> probably his daughter as well, his real daughter. But that's just his relationship with this lamb, right? He's, he's raising this sheep in a very odd fashion. And in the midst of this beautiful relationship, when a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he didn't want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who had come to visit him. And so instead, he took the poor man's lamb and he cooked it for the man who had come to visit him. Just like that. Little lammy, Lisa the lamb, dead, right? And consumed. She's now calories in people's bodies. I, don't, I think that's how that works, right? Like, so he kills his lamb. Rich man takes the lamb, he's like, got pop. And then, or I don't know how you do it, like, probably like, Ugh. I don't know. But he kills the lamb, and he cooks it, and he feeds this traveler. Now, now David's hearing this story, right? And I'd like to imagine that he's just increasingly becoming more and more absorbed, right? You didn't have TV and Netflix back then. This is, like, as good as it got. Like, you had people telling stories. And so David's like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm, I gotta, what's the next season, right? I gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta get hooked on this one. And sure enough, as he's getting absorbed in this story, Nathan doesn't ask him for a response, but, Nathan, or, but David just responds anyway. He gets very angry. And he's like, hey, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this, he deserves to die. Because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. Right? David gets so enraptured, and, and Nathan, to his credit, creates the space. He's going, I guess, Blue's Clues, Door of the Explorer style, and just kind of creating these windows of like, who's the, who's the bad man, David? Do you see who the bad man is? <laughs> David's like, that one! That one is! So then he should die, and he should pay for that lamb four times over. He's so enraged. He's probably assuming, man, this is probably a real thing. Nathan's talking about it's a story, but I think it's really happening in my kingdom right now. I think this is really going down. I'm, I'm getting incensed. I'm getting angry. And right in that moment, Nathan turns to him. He says, you are that man! says, David, this guy that you're so enraged at, this man that you're so, you, you just see the injustice of it, this man that you want to send to his death, he says, David, that's you. And right in this moment, as he's built David up, as he's approaching him in this, in this kind, gracious way, right, as he's just beginning with this story, he doesn't, he doesn't open up with, David, you're in the wrong, right? He comes in subtly. He comes in diplomatically. He comes in with this story, and he, and he builds David to this point. He gets him emotionally invested. He gives him time to interact. And right when David's right where Nathan wants him, he brings that hammer. He says, David, that's you. And he's not doing this to, to be manipulative or to be secretive. He's doing this because he wants David to feel the impact of the truth. That's why we have goofy videos 
on Sunday morning. That's why I tell you stories about my children. It's, it's why we illustrate. It's why I, I give you practical application that, that relates to the truth that God's given us. I mean, I, I use these pieces not for my own personal benefit and edification. I use these pieces because I want you to feel the impact of the truth that God has given us. And I know that I can bridge that gap. I know that I can help the words of God sink a little bit deeper. I can allow the Spirit to move in that way through various ways, whether it's a, a, an illustration up front, whether it's a, it's a video that we watch, whether it's through laughter, whether it's through, 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 through sorrow. Nathan is just simply using best speaking practices. And he says, David, this is you. If we're approaching people with truth that's hard to hear, if we're holding someone accountable for confronting them, then we need to make sure we're doing it in the right way. What we'll see in a moment is that even in the midst of this truth, Nathan still has grace. That yeah, he's confident, but he's also compassionate. And that's the tension we always have to hold. As we're moving into other people's lives, we're speaking and maybe confronting people or we're holding someone accountable, we need to make sure that we're holding that compassion and that confidence simultaneously. And if we're David, then we need to pave the way for that person to speak. And we're not just making the time, but we're paving the way. But by essentially structuring that time, building into our lives, man, I I need people to be asking me real questions. One of my favorite things to do for for accountability, if you really want someone to to hold you to uh, uh, this area, this this standard that God set forth in, in, in your life, in this issue or that area or this relationship, you, you, you tell your friend, you tell the people you trust, you say, man, I, I need you to ask me this and this every single week. I need you to ask me like what I've done to, to go above and beyond in loving my wife. I, I need you to tell me uh, when was I patient or when was I impatient with my children. I, I need you to ask me these particular questions that I know I need to be asked. Let me pave the way for you. So that you're not just trying to come up with what you think is a good question, what you think might be ap- applicable for my life. I'm, I'm making time for us to talk, but I'm also preparing that time. I'm, I'm structuring it well. I'm, I'm giving you the tools you need to step into my life with compassion and also with confidence. I'm giving you the, the tools that you need to step in with grace and truth. I'm helping you help me. And I'll tell you, as we're seeking to do that, as we're seeking to, 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 to be both compassionate and confident, it also requires an incredible dependence upon the Lord. It requires that we're spending time not just with each other, but that we're spending time with our God. The one who is our source of love and compassion and grace. The one who's our ultimate source of forgiveness. The one who's our ultimate source of truth. So if you have people in your life that are holding you accountable, then you need to not just be talking about what you think might be happening in your lives or what you think about these certain issues. I mean, you need to be going before the Lord in prayer. Or, or you need to be studying the Lord's Word or a devotion or something together. Paving the way not just for your own conversation to be fruitful, but also your relationship with the Lord to be fruitful as well. And I'll tell you that there's going to be moments when we realize that we are that man. And it's so critical that we say it in the right way. Avion. Aeroplane. Aero. Avion. Truck truck. 
Surprise. Surprise. Sorpresa. Sorpresa. Überraschung. Papillon. Butterfly. Farfalla. Mariposa. Schmetterling. It matters, right? It matters. The way that we approach people, the way that we speak, the way that we even carry ourselves. I mean, just, just our posture in those moments, the, 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 whether or not we're smiling when we talk to them, whether or not we're relaxed in our posture, whether or not we're, we're willing to step in and, and to get some pushback, to get some, to get some, some frustration, to, to allow someone to vent to us. I mean, we, we need to allow those things to take place. We need to be compassionate. We're not just walking in saying like, listen up, chucklehead. This is the way it goes. Nathan walks in and, and he's, he's subtle. He's empowered by the Lord to step into that moment. And what we'll see here right now is that he's, he's loving, right? He's gracious. He's quick to not just extend the truth, but he's quick to extend God's grace. He's quick to extend God's forgiveness and to remind David that he's still loved. Nathan speaks the truth. He's confident in telling him, look, you've shown contempt for the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight. Right? He's saying, this is what God told me to tell you, David, that you've done evil in his sight. You've shown contempt for him. You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife as your own. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Nathan walks in and he says, this is the reality of what you've done. This is the full truth of what happened. He says, you took this man's wife and you essentially killed him by allowing, he used this little strategic, his little military maneuver where he basically made sure that Uriah was on the front end of a battle line. He had everyone else pull back and leave Uriah to die. It's so tragic because this is literally something that the crazy King Saul tried to do to David just a couple decades before this, just a few years before this. This was Saul's exact strategy in trying to kill David at the front end before he started throwing spears at his head. He tried to do this with David. He would say, man, I'm going to leave David on the front line. I'm going to pull everyone else back. I'm going to let the Philistines kill him for me. And that's exactly what David did for Uriah. He let the Ammonites, he let this other enemy of God's people cut this guy down. So Nathan comes in. He's not just coming in at the right time with the right way, right, and the right approach, but he's also bringing the whole truth. Right? He knew the whole truth. He doesn't start off this conversation uh, by telling him, hey, uh, uh, you know, I, I think what it looks like to me is yada, yada. Or, or hey, like I, I heard like Jimmy the cook was telling, or I mean, they're Hebrew, so I heard Chimel the cook, right? He told me, he told me that, 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 right? He doesn't go in like that. Because why? Because Nathan knows that, hey, speculation and secondhand knowledge, it's unreliable, Right, if we're relying on these people to like, oh, he said, she said, that he said, that this happened, man. If we're relying on this chain of conversations, man, that's never going to end well. That's never going to give us the full story. Tommy came to the airport to pursue his dream of becoming a pilot. <coughs> but so far, he's only made it as far as Happy Burger. Yeah, it's going really well. I'm not a pilot just yet, but I've got three stars on my name badge. Uh, this one was for being out a week. This one was for putting the cheese into cheeseburgers, and this one was for mopping up sick. In fact, they're so impressed with me, they've actually made me be assistant supervisor, so now it's my job to train up the new staff. Can I have a burger, please? Burger? Burger. Fresh burger. Fresh burger. 
Onion rings. Onion rings. Onion rings. Fresh onion rings. Fresh onion rings. I do still like to have the supervisor with me, just to make sure I'm doing it right. Fries. 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 What size fries? What fries size? What fries fries? Small. 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 Press small, then. Press small, then. Strawberry milkshake. Strawberry milkshake. Chocolate milkshake. No, strawberry milkshake. No strawberry milkshake. No strawberry milkshake. I have to be careful, though. If I get too many stars, there's a danger I may become overqualified to be a pilot. Can I have the code for the toilet, please? Can I have the code for the toilet, please? Can I have the code for the toilet, please? 295. 245. 361. It's not going to end well. It's not going to be the whole truth. Now, we don't always have the full advantage of, of the voice of God telling us exactly what went down. But... When we approach people and we're holding them accountable to something, man, we, we should rely on, on our personal experience and their personal story. Right? When we're approaching someone, we're having a tough conversation, we should be careful not to allow speculation or secondhand information influence that conversation. We need to make sure that we're approaching people wanting to understand the whole truth. We're seeking understanding in those moments. And only when we understand can we actually point them in the right direction. Right? Only when we have the whole truth can we actually tell them then God's truth and God's desire and God's will and man, the way forward. That's, that's the point where we can begin to help them. So if we're Nathan, right, we're grounded in this whole truth. We're following the model of Christ who is full of both grace and truth. But if we're David, then what we need to do is we need to tell the truth, right? We need to be willing to turn on all the lights with these people that we trust. And that's why we always put forth opportunity for you. Even as you're hearing these things, you're like, man, I don't know who that person is. I don't know who those people are that I can turn the lights on with. I don't know who those people are that I can be honest with, that I can tell the truth to. I'm not sure if I have that kind of community. That's why we try to present the opportunity for you week in, week out, that you can be a part of that community here at Grace. There are lots of other places as well. But we want to make sure that you don't lose sight of the fact that we have opportunity here and now for you to join a community of like-minded individuals who want to chase after the Lord, that want to follow Jesus with their lives. And they'll hold each other accountable to that. It's baked into all of our small groups that you would be held accountable to following after Jesus, that you'd be encouraged as you move ahead, that you'd be strengthened as you fall behind, that we could come together with compassion and confidence to not just share our lives, but to see what God would intend for our lives. And so what's incredible is that when we look at this story, when we look at Nathan and David's interaction, we see Nathan walk in with all these right pieces, with all these right principles. And because he has all these pieces aligned, what happens is he gives David the opportunity to respond so well. David hears this story. He hears the, the hard truth from Nathan And he exclaims in response. He says to Nathan, he says, man, I've I've sinned against the Lord. You guys are just going to have to pop it up for me because I think you clicked out of it. He says, "I, I sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, yeah. He says, but here's the thing. He says, the Lord's forgiven you. 
It says, yeah, David, you have sinned, but, but the Lord has forgiven you and you're, you're not going to die. You, you see death as the, as the right punishment. And he says, and you're not missing that. You're not missing the point. You're, you're not wrong in that. But here's the thing. God's forgiven you. And, and you're not going to die. God's not going to put you to death because of this sin, because of this transgression. It says, David, there, there, is, there is this great God who, who, who is just, who, who sets right what was made wrong. He says, but, but also it's a God. We have a God who, who loves and is, and is forgiving and is merciful. And so he says, David, even though you deserve this incredible punishment, God is going to show you mercy. And so David says, man, I, I want to repent of what I've done in light of that love, in light of that forgiveness, not, not out of fear of punishment, but out of an appreciation for that forgiveness, David says, I want to repent. That's why I wrote Psalm 51. That's why he said, man, I've been granted, right? He's he's saying, God, I want to experience that ultimate joy of being forgiven, right? I want these bones that you crushed to rejoice, right? He says, you've you've shown me the error of my ways. You've crushed my bones, but I want to rejoice in that. Why? Because I know that you're going to give me this joy of forgiveness, that you'll hide your face from my sins, that you'll wipe away my guilt, that you can create for me a pure heart, that you can renew a resolute spirit within me. And God, I don't want you to reject me. He says, I don't want you to take your spirit away from me. And so let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. He says, God, I know you've promised that you will give me these things. You'll deliver me from this sin, from this transgression. God, I want you to sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. He says, God, it's not just that I want to be forgiven. It's not just so I want to turn away, but I want to turn away what was wrong and I want to pursue what's right. That's repentance. That you would say, man, this, this was not the right path. I'm going to take a new path instead. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to run the opposite direction. That's repentance. David says, that's the heart that I have. I want to repent. God, I want to turn. Lord, I want to change. And so I need you to make that happen. God, I need you to change my desires, to transform my heart. And he says, and if you do this, God, what's so incredible is that I can then go out and I can be your witness. All right, I want to be your person, your teacher, who then teaches the rebels your merciful ways. God, I want to be the example that I can put forth so that other broken, fallen individuals can turn to you. I mean, how powerful of a testimony is that? That David says, man, God, I, I, I don't want to just be forgiven so that I can have this peace of mind and acceptance. He says, God, I want to experience the joy of your forgiveness. And I want you to help me repent. I want you to transform my heart so that other people can look at me and see you at work. So that other people can look at me and not just see, oh, that king that's got together. I want them to look at me and I want them to see there is a God who is merciful. But this simply doesn't happen outside of community and accountability. David needed Nathan to step in and call him to repentance, right? We need to be like Nathan, seeking reconciliation with the people around us. And we also need to be like David, ready to repent when we're wrong. Your ability to learn quickly from correction, whether it's loving or unloving, whether it's presented in the right Nathan way or not, your ability to learn quickly from correction will dramatically affect your ability to serve the Lord. So many times in our lives, we will find ourselves needing to hear hard truth. And when that happens, when you find that correction, you need to hear it, you need to learn it, and then you need to move past it. And we all struggle. A lot of us, we all basically break down at one of those points. Either we don't want to listen in the first place, or we don't want to accept it. We don't want to let it transform us in the middle. Or we just sit on it and we dwell on it and we hold it close and we never get past the fact that we are broken. 
<laughs> we just got to get that. You hear it, you learn it, you've moved past it. You allow it to transform, you allow that friction to create growth. And if that's something you struggle with now, I'd encourage you, start building that muscle. Build in this time. Pave this way. Find those people. Hold me accountable. Create this friction in my life because I'm going to need this moving forward. You cannot grow without friction. You cannot grow without being strengthened, without those muscle fibers being torn and rebuilt time and time again. You need to start building that muscle now. Because if we allow ourselves to be isolated, man, it just, we fizzle out. We need that friction for a healthy, sustainable flame. Something that we're going to see outside right now. Uh Uh-oh. I allowed the door to close. Oh, wait, they can still hear me probably. Okay. Can you hear me? Give me a whoop. Okay, there they are. All right. Look. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my Lord. All right. I didn't think we'd be this on fire for the Lord, but we are. That the spirit would move this powerfully. (laughs) Now I got to be on this side. But here's the idea. One of the quickest ways that you can ever put out a fire, that you can put out a log. Oh, man. Is to simply take it out of the flame. Uh Uh-oh. It's not going out. Too much lighter fluid. Normally this works. Sorry, 915. It's not going out. I would roll it on the ground. Okay, here's what we're going to do. This is still not going out. This is too much lighter fluid. This illustration has failed me. (laughs) I'm going to take this correction. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to move past it. (laughs) But imagine, if you will, that this log is not on fire. Because it shouldn't be. What (laughs) What happened? Well, we (laughs) we took it out of the fire. And it's still on fire. But slowly, over time, it will burn out, right? It is going to go out. It's slowly even dying, even as the lighter fluid that we soaked it in all night dissipates. Uh, It's going out. But here's the beauty. So because of David's willingness, right? You can get a little bit closer. So because of David's willingness, this is what we learn. Because of his repentance or because of his joy of his desire to reconcile, this is what's so cool. Is that even though this is a really quick and easy way, okay, look, it's finally out. It's a quick and easy way to put this fire or this log out. But the beauty is that it can still contribute, right? As soon as I just put this back in the fire, it can recatch with flame. Yeah, it's totally on fire. Look, it was this one the whole time. Okay, right. Uh, I need someone to let me back in though, because I also just realized I locked myself out. Thank you. So that kind of made sense, right? Okay. So that didn't work, but it's okay. Uh, Yeah, we gave it a best shot. But here's the thing. One of the quickest ways, like I said, man, one of the quickest ways to put out a a log, put out a fire, is you just take it apart. And, And man, our enemy knows that. Our enemy knows that if we're isolated, if we lose community, what happens is that we can quickly lose our fire. We can lose our passion. We can lose our excitement. We can lose our intention. We can lose our purpose. But the joy of our situation, the hope that we've been given is that if we have hearts of repentance, if we're willing to turn, if we're willing to seek reconciliation, if we're seeking to restore that original relationship, man, God can always bring us back. God can always bring us back into community. He can always bring us back on track. 
And so one of the ways that we do that not, isn't just through accountability, right, in that small time. We need that intentional time with, with a small circle, but, but we also do that as a whole. We do that as a body. And that's why this morning we're closing with communion. We're going to have booths that are set up around the room. Uh, they, there should be people there already, but they're not, but they're going to move that way right now. And, and we have an opportunity for you to basically come to, to, to different spots around the room. We'll have a few different uh, spots around the room that you can come and, and just participate in the ordinance of communion. In other words, you're coming forward and you're saying, God, I, I want to recognize what Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf. Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says, hey, when you come together, you can remember what Christ has done. You can eat the bread that he symbolically broke, that, that, that represented his body that was broken. You can drink the, the, from the cup that, that symbolically represents the, the, the blood that he spilled on our behalf. You can remember every single day by, by doing these things, by eating this bread, by taking this cup, he says, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You can join together as a body and remember what Christ has accomplished to remember the grace and truth that he set forth, the example that he set before us, that incredible example of stepping out of heaven and onto earth into an uncomfortable, difficult situation, and yet living that perfect life that we could not live, and dying that death that we deserved, and then rising again three days later to prove that he has power over sin and death, that he can bring reconciliation to the repentant, to prove that he can put that log back in the fire, to prove once and for all that if you call on his name, you can be saved. So this morning as we wrap, as we close with worship, if you feel led as a believer to, to come forward, there's no pressure, but if you want to approach one of these spots around the room to, to take that bread, to take that cup, to just remember what Christ has done on your behalf, please feel free to do so. Now let's enter into this time with prayer. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, this beautiful practice of communion. Lord, you've given us this beautiful uh, opportunity to, to, to thank you and praise you through worship. Lord, we just pray that you would use this time powerfully to to direct our minds and our hearts, our, our attention and our affections towards you. So if you would right now, take a moment and pray and ask God, Lord, what is my next step? God, am I a Nathan today? Do I need to seek out that, that tough conversation that, Lord, I've been avoiding, but, but that I need to show that, that, that hard love to someone else? Or, or God, am I a David? Lord, am I needing to create space in my life? Am I needing to pave the way? Am I needing to be honest and truthful with people around me? Do I need to find a community where I can be vulnerable and authentic? Where I have open doors and lights on? Where I can find other people to hold me accountable to the path that you've laid before me? The standards that you've set? So if you would take this moment now and ask God, show me what's my next step. God, what's my way forward? Take this moment and pray that now.